going on guys 360 digital closing bell here i am your humble humble correspondent michael here joined as always for our week look back podcast here on the 360 digital closing bell by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director of publisher of the world's greatest website oil and gas 360.com Stuart turley Stu, how are you doing this morning it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood and thank you for having me on your show and no problem. Episode number 33 here on a gorgeous Friday, July 17th. Cranking this out on another Friday morning. I don't know. I kind of like this. We get all the most updated news, and we can get this guys in your inbox and in your podcast before the morning starts. So I'm kind of liking this Friday morning grind. As if you're listening to this um, on not on July 17th, that is today's date. Oil currently trading about 41 bucks right now, 4092. It's a good little overnight uh, peel. We have a great show for you guys lined up. Uh, because it's Friday, we're going to rip around the whip around the oil patch cover. All of the top stories from the closing bell. If you missed any of our shows throughout the week, we're also going to check in with the levels and go into a weird DOE inventory report. And we'll still check in with the suspended 360 official, non-official fund, but it does not look good. But guys, first, I need to tell you about our friends at Adam and Tina Energy and what they're doing for social risk for the energy business. And it's not just community opposition to all of these development projects that you guys have going on. It's everything from the success for the divest from fossil fuels movement to all of the, the investor engagement that's going around your ESG programs to these individual states that are setting wild climate and decarbonization agendas. We're, we're going to run a story about Boulder County. You want to talk about trying to drill in Boulder County? I'd rather slam my head into an ice pick than attempt to work with the Boulder City Council to drill somewhere else. But if you want to, you need to hire Adamantine Energy. They're the leading consultancy helping oil and gas companies prepare for social. Tisha lives in Boulder. So, I mean, she's based in Boulder. So if you want to do anything, trust me, just get in contact with them as i mentioned tisha shula she's the former ceo of the colorado ass uh, oil <coughs> excuse me the colorado oil and gas association and she's helping energy companies just like yours ex- explore your exposure to social risk show you what your options are and how you can respond to all this stuff how your peer companies are responding because that's key what are you what are your competitors doing i mean you go look at any any i was i was working on a competitor intelligence project this week and one of the and all of these SaaS platforms do the biggest thing they have on there yeah what are your competitors doing what's your competitors production what's everybody around you doing so Competitive in, competitor intelligence specifically is key, and that's what they're helping you with. She also has a wildly cool podcast called the Energy Thinks Podcast that you should check out on iTunes, Spotify, and also next week will be available on YouTube. So wherever you get your podcast, you can listen. Really, it's it's meant for oil and gas leaders, and really how, how and, and really it, she interviews a, a boatload of people in, in the oil and gas thought leadership stage and it really is exploring this idea of social risk and how it interacts with all different facets of the energy business if you guys are not listening to that podcast or reading the weekly newsletter that she puts out via energythinks.com you should stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to that because your competitors are reading go ahead and get your leg up check out everything Adam and Teen Energy www.energythinks.com you guys should also subscribe to this podcast, 360 Digital Closing Bell, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. The best way to stay up to date on all of your energy market news. Guys, we go live on YouTube every single market day at 2 p.m. So if you want to know what happened during the Energy Equities Trading Day, trust me, we go live 2 o'clock on YouTube. You can go to the Oil and Gas 360 Twitter account and click the link. I've literally linked the live show in the Twitter account. We're going to have it up on the news. It's going to be one click. Boom. You can go live every single day. What's up? 2 o'clock Mountain. Two o'clock Mountain Time, three o'clock Central Time for you. Right after the, I mean, sometimes we're like two o two because we're just trying to get our notes together after uh, the closing bell comes. So, so, so uh, forgive us if we're one or two minutes late. Um, you should also subscribe to all of the Oil and Gas three hundred and sixty social accounts: LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, 
We are Oil & Gas 360 News Twitter, which is the best place to stay update on all of your real-time news that's dropping on the Oil & Gas 360.com platform. You should also check out the Energy 360 podcast, which is a podcast that's run by Intercom, where it's... Um, Who's the parent company here? These guys have the best interviews when it comes to energy thought leadership. Stu, we who'd we interview last week? What do we got coming up? Kind of give me an overview of what what your guys' schedule looks like. Uh, we haven't. Uh, we interviewed uh, Brad, uh, who is the director over at Inverus for uh, Oklahoma's uh, spacing and uh, database. It has been. Is anything interesting? Because I, I I didn't have an opportunity to sit in on that one. Normally, I get to sit in on and produce these bad boys, so I can have an insight. Was any anything interesting? Oh, can we ab- a little teaser for podcast listeners. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Brad has been involved with this database for um, probably 20, 30 years, maybe okay. even longer, and he knows his stuff. And Inverus means data. This is all of the three and 4D information in the scoop and stack. And if you're already an Inveris client, it's an add-on to all their stuff for Oklahoma and it matches the regulations. Unbelievable ROI from uh, Inveris. So it's a new data product. It's it's, it's a new product? Uh, A bolt-on and it is phenomenal okay well i'm excited to cut this bad boy up when's that gonna drop next week uh tuesday and, tuesday and and, and then when's high and then because me and you had probably the funnest interview we've ever done with heidi mcculloch and terry edom we did that on tuesday when's that dropping uh wednesday Whew, that'll be that'll that'll be fun oh it, it was such a hoot and uh i we get to interview terry again on his book you do it's a one-on-one. It, he gets it, to enter the no-spin zone. And and Terry blew me off when I tried to interview him. He said, <laughs> read, read the book because he does not want to talk to knotheads. Well, he's yep. going to admit to that. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, if you are an oil and gas advocate specifically in Canada, you have to probably be particular about what type of media you do because <laughs> – not that you you not that you don't want to avoid people that necessarily don't agree with you because I think it's great to go to new audiences. But gotcha journalism, no. you you don't, you don't want to go somebody who's literally just going to argue with you the whole time, and there's no room for any sort of you know discussion. But you know Heidi's uh, directing of uh, a stranded nation with our Canadian with Canada. Um, the day after we talked about this, all of our pipeline excuse me, all of our pipeline problems that we talked about are regulatory issues in mm-hmm. the U.S. And we are not able to get up into the north uh, east in Canada because of line five being shut down. And it is absolutely stupid. And guess what happens? From Alberta all the way through the Panama Canal, they have to bring tankers. Guess what? The day after our interview, first tanker came through the Panama Canal and arrived in uh, eastern Canada. <laughs> yeah, talk about the, the 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 cost bloating there. That's unbelievable. But guys, check that all out. Energy 360 podcast by Intercom, the best place for energy thought leadership. Whew. All right, that's enough. I think it's time to dive into the show, guys. It, it, it's Friday, which means we're going to whip around the oil field and cover all of the stories that we covered here on the Closing Bell on our live shows. First, I mean, I, mean, I think I, I've got four stories I want to cover here. I want to start with the Dakota Access Pipeline because that was the first story that dropped 
you know, there was probably three or four different news articles that sort of spun out. We saw Sunday night, Dakota Access Pipeline get shut down. Uh, U.S. Uh, District Court Judge James Boisenberg, I'm going to keep calling him that. I don't actually know what his name is. We're, we're going to get his name right at some point. I'd love to have him on the show. He probably, I don't think if you're a judge, you can come on the show. But Judge James Boisenberg shut down, who was the original um, judge, by the way, just so everybody knows who finally approved this and got the first oil flowing through the pipeline. He, three years later, reverses his decision and orders energy transfer to uh, get the pipeline, basically empty the pipeline, but it was August, let me get my date right, August 8th. So that happened. So Sunday, energy transfer gets an order. They have to evacuate the pipeline by August 8th. Well, Monday, Tuesday rolls around and sparks are flying. Energy transfer comes out and says, oh no, we're, we're not... Deep, we're not emptying it, and we're actually taking delivery. But you know what? Legit delivery. And then they had the goal, Stu. They had the goal to say, "No, it's not an act of defiance. <laughs> we're just, we're just not doing it." It's like well, you, you, you have different definitions of what a level of defiance is. My goodness. Oh, yeah, and you, you uh, came up with the IR guy is should be running for office. That was one of the greatest. He IR should. That's <laughs> you know, someone should hire him as his communicate someone should who's ever run at trump or biden should hire him as his communications director he'd clearly win because yeah that guy it was just i was just dying it was killing me um but then by you know sort of as we call manna from heaven um u.s um uh, as you know there are levels to our court systems you have you know I don't really know what the actual structure is. All I know is this, that U.S. Court of Appeals is above district courts. So the U.S. Court of Appeals swoops in from the District of Columbia and actually issued a stay for the 570,000 barrel pipeline, giving the court enough opportunity to actually consider the stay that was put in front of Judge James Poisonberg. The appeals court gave the Plains, who's the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and others to file by August 20th to file this joint response to an emergency motion for the stay in the court order stay. Dakota Access Pipeline parent company, whose energy transfer partners, has until July 23rd to respond. So until now, so I'll also, you know, the, the, whoever's advising energy transfer partners, these lawyers should get a raise because they clearly, no, I mean, and we joked about it on Tuesday and it it's actually true now. Who, who's ever they have as their outside counsel is killing it because they gave them great advice. Hey, just don't do it. Because think about it. I don't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and we can, you know, oh, well, what would have happened if this? But I I don't think that this, this if they had decided to just start draining it, I don't think the U.S. Court of Appeals swoops in. I think the Court of Appeals swooped in because of pressure from energy transfer and whoever was advising them. Um. I, this is going to be a, a a perfect example of oil, gas, and energy companies needing to stand up and basically communicate the proper way to do energy. Yeah. If they don't stand up, they ain't going to make it. Yeah, yeah. And if you're wondering why um, the U.S. District Court denied and actually wanted to... Uh, um, Defill this is so every March or March 25th of every year, if you are a pipeline, the uh, EIA or the EPA requires the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, who manages all of these pipelines, to produce full environmental impact statements, which basically covers the year back. Apparently, they didn't quite get that done. There's that's really what's what's coming down here. Energy transfer is not common, but getting this a coalition of 14 state attorneys 
So they've got state attorneys behind him now, said that the shutdown of the pipeline would hurt farmers and increase environmental risk if railways are forced to take on more oil shipment. So at least we've got some state, I mean, so they've got a crew of lawyers behind him, and they were all sort of on the same page. Man, this is probably not legal. So, I mean, shout out energy transfer. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I mean, that at some point, someone's just got to make a decision. There's a CEO, there's a COO sitting there like, all right, what do we do? You can get all the advice you want from Haynes and Boone, but at some point you just have to make a decision. What do we I, do? I, let's check and see if the uh, CEO was out of the military. Let's take a look here. Energy transfer CEO. Because you think so? Uh, it, it just sounds like a... Kelsey it, Warren. I should have known this. I don't think so. I don't think this is a... I think he is a longtime oil guy. I remember this. Let's see. You still What's his background look like? He started working Lone Star Gas Company... Um, he's, he's been in gas his whole life. Yeah. He's been, he's been in his, yeah, I mean, it's not, he's, he's not necessary. I mean, but he's, I mean, he's from, he's from, he's a Dallas guy, Stu. He's got ice in his veins. Uh, we, we like Texicans. And, and he's also got a net worth of 4.3 billion. So I think he's, he's sitting pretty pretty. I don't think, you know, I mean, I don't think he has much stress going to bed at night. Uh, no, uh, he's probably the second godfather of oil. Yeah, what's what's a couple billion between friends? But I mean that that's that's everything about Dakota Access Pipeline. It was kind of a wild week up and down. It was on, then it was off, then it was on, it was an off. It was literally like a middle school relationship. Just on again, off again, uh throughout the week. So we'll make sure to cover it. I I, I don't think this is gonna get shut down. I, I I would I am bullish on the fact that zero oil will be pulled from this and we're gonna continue to just pump this bad boy uh, full of its stuff. But then again, who really knows? Not Anything else on the Codex's pipeline? Anything else we need to watch for? Um, I have enjoyed watching you this week on that pipeline. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. I had to spend. We don't need to dive into the details on it, but I spent way too much time covering the Dakota Access Pipeline three years ago. So I am I'm I'm glad to see this one. I mean, it was fun to come back. It was like uh it's like a net neutrality. It was here for all week. We are all gonna die. Everyone was gonna have to pay twenty bucks per tweet, fifty cents per Facebook post, and now it's gone. So at some point they'll bring it back, much like they're bringing back the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, but uh, hopefully it can at least go away. We'll never hear about it again because pipelines is the safest way to transport, uh, you know, crude oil, you know, crude oil, natural gas, liquids, anything. It's it's I I will argue that I, that's a hill I will die on. Not many hills I'll die on um, because you, you're I'm just you're going to be wrong too much. You can't die on all. The, I will die on the pipeline hill. What do you mean? What do you want to do? You want to start carrying this on your head? Like you want to start balancing barrels on your head? We just start creating lines. <sighs> I got to move on before I get myself in trouble here. Um, the other thing I saw U.S. shale production. So I got I got a couple sources. So U.S. shale production as we ran on the EIA. Uh, if, you, if you crude oil inventories Wednesday, um, as we'll see later in the show, 11 million barrels was flat. So you're talking about total U.S. domestic, uh, domestic production staying flat at 11 million barrels. Well, get this. U.S. shale production will fall to 7.4 million barrels in August, which is down about uh, 56,000 barrels, which is its lowest in two years the uh, EIA came out with this week. So to give you an idea, there's, you know, most of the, you know, and when we mean U.S. shale oil production, that's onshore. This has nothing to, you know, the big chunk, that big difference between U.S. shale production and U.S. total domestic production is offshore drilling there's not you know it's there's not, stripper wells aren't i mean while they're the majority of the actual you know the you know 
it, there's two sides of the story. If you just look on a well-by-well -well basis, the majority of wells produce under 100 barrels a day. But that's, that doesn't then make up the majority of the production numbers. It's it's the other 10% that's doing the 10,000 barrels a day when the offshore. So it's kind of two sides. And I know we were talking about shut-ins. Well, yeah, we were to shut in all these wells. The majority of wells are under... Well, not really. They're not adding to production at all. So we're talking about the hyper-selective, really, you know, we're talking about the faucets and the offshore stuff. So... I mean, 7.5 million, that's low, Stu. And, and this is coming out of EIA, backed up by our friends at uh, Inveris. So we know we know the data's correct. Um, I mean, this is pretty wild. Let's look at this. Permian Basin, down 700,000 barrels from March. Woohoo! Seven in the Permian, no less. You would have thought if there was any basin flying, it would have been the Permian. The Bakken's only down 300,000. Well, uh, a couple things. Uh, you mentioned this, uh, I believe, last week, not this week. Um, uh, it's easier to shut in a offshore because they do it all the time for hurricanes. Uh, shutting something off in the Permian is tougher. It may or may not come back online. Technology in the, in the uh, Gulf has been there for years. That kind of problem does not exist as we talk to some of our... It's a great point. I thought it, it is a great point. You know, we've seen domestic, you know, that, that that's a really great point. And that's, I think, the key to the crux between why we're seeing domestic per, U.S. total domestic production staying flat and maybe even rising a little bit while we're seeing shale fall. Because a lot of the stuff you mentioned, I mean, I think you hit the you hit the nail on the head right there. You bet. I, mean, I don't think there's there's not much more to say. I mean, honestly, especially the fact I mean, yeah, the Permian isn't as isolated. It, it, I think it also has a lot to do that 700,000 bills. I think it also has a lot to do with. They're easier to turn off. A lot of, I mean, the the world's, I mean, not the world's, but the best wells in the United States hail from Clark, you know, uh, what's the county down there? Is it Clark County? What's it? And it's not Midland County. It's right next to it. What's the name of that county? Howard County? I, Something like that. Yeah. But there's, there's, there's that county down there that's not quite, it's right next to, it's not quite Midland County, but it's got the whoo-hoo howitzers, baby. Those are faucets. Um, uh, uh, I had the opportunity to interview um, the CEO of Goodrich, I believe, two yep. ago. And the Haynesville is not like the uh, Permian because it's natural gas. Natural gas has the same benefit of being able okay. to turn on and turn off. So that's why you're not seeing the Haynesville or the Appalachia. Uh, come in and have the same problems as the yeah. I mean, they're only Haynesville's only down two thousand barrels a day, but I mean, then again, you're not making much gas cut out of that. No. Appalachia's only down two hundred thousand barrels, which is you know most of this is just shutting. So no, you're you're right. And you know what's nice is the Bakken outlooks up, and they might we might see that pop above a million barrels, which is good because if you remember that interview we did, oh who was it? We've interviewed so many people at Inveris. It's who was it? Who was the uh, the natural gas guy over there? We interviewed somebody, Rob McBride, Rob. and was talking about how the Bakken, and not specifically the production, but all the crude coming from the Bakken, clogging up these refineries that have been turned off with the issue. So it's good to see the Bakken being able to increase that production because that means some of that downstream stuff has been fixed, which is sort of, it seemed like the clog in this whole supply chain. Oh, yeah. Just coming back. It's all up here somewhere. It just takes me a little while. Um, to bring it back. Hey, Michael, that's a perfect example of our 360, or excuse me, our Energy 360 uh, network, the expert network that you and I are learning so much from all these interviews. Think about what our listeners are le learning. 
Yeah, I mean, seriously, if you if you tap into half of the stuff that we are on, you'll you'll know more than most people. I mean, I'm dead serious. It's just um, it's what they pay me to do. They pay us to read the news. As uh, what, what's what's his uh, Ron Burgundy? I'm paid to read the news. All right, we got to dive into the final story, which is as we ran a moment of silence on the podcast on on the on the uh, show yesterday or on our live show yesterday for California Resources Corporation. All right, that's enough. Officially declares Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is, uh, I mean, I think we sort of all figured this out. I mean, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody was shocked when CRC filed bankruptcy. I think the shock was they held out this long. We ran this a couple months, you know, we ran this beginning of the month, you know, uh, June 15th, they skipped an interest payment loan. They had a 30-day grace period to make it. We heard nothing up until the dead of midnight, until they came in and and now we know why, Stu. If you actually I had we had an opportunity to dive in and actually read the obligation, the bankruptcy bond, I think we have a little idea of why it took so long to actually get to this restructuring agreement. But we'll hit the highlights first. Six point one billion in liabilities. That's and that's liabilities. And that because that include that role that includes debt and also some of the other you know, junk that they are supposed to own out there. They're seeking to reduce their obligations by over five billion dollars. They're trying to cut that. I mean, what's a few what's a few billion between debtors? You know what I mean? Um, and the term loan of twenty nine of uh, twenty seventeen will get ninety three percent of the new equity, which is the debt holders owning that twenty seventeen term loan bond. I think's paid out in twenty uh, twenty six. So here's basically, so here's the outcome. But here's and, and so if you're an equity holder. You actually make out okay. I think you get you get sick. If you're an equity holder, divide your portfolio by 10. And that's what your shares are worth. So you know, no, it is. You get about 10% of the new equity. So go ahead and just divide that number by 10. Just whoop, move the move the dot over. And I, I doubt um, uh, that's got to stink if you're in a, if you're in a, not stink if you're an executive. These guys got to, you know, we don't have to get into the fat payout they gave themselves six months ago. But uh, all that stock you have, your bonus was in stock there. Whoop, whoop. Didn't that happen to Dan? All of his Chesapeake stock? Oh, it did. Uh, let's <sighs> bring that up. <laughs> uh, so that, we'll, that we will hold a moment of silence and a vigil for that stock one day. Specifically, those people who owned um, and had some of their restructuring or had some of their bonuses paid out in that. But here's the kicker, Stu. So I mentioned ninety uh, ninety three percent of the new equity is going to the twenty seventeen term loan holders. But get this: ninety four percent, eighty four percent of the companies. Uh, term loans is being restructured. So of that five billion, eighty-four percent of the debt is being wiped away. Or excuse me, eighty-four percent of that term loan in twenty seventeen is being wiped away. But get this: of their twenty sixteen term loan, which is about three point, which is about half of the four billion that both the twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen term loan take up, only fifty-one percent of those debt holders are agreeing to the restructure. So there, I think, in lies our delay. They were battling with some 2016 creditors who really, really want more. And, you know, I, it didn't quite work. Um, they ended up entering an agreement. They're going to get 1.1 in debt financing, or what's called debtor in possession financing, which is going to allow them to continue operations as they move forward um, with this restructuring. As we all know, back in 2014, CRC was spun out of Oxy, and it was really, it started out with too much debt to begin with. I think their initial spinoff was one point. One point, I mean, it was a, it was a billion in debt to begin with, which is not quite how you want to start. 
Um, you know, Oxy was really attempting to focus on turning themselves into a Permian Basin company, then destroyed themselves by LBOing Anadarko. Clear, none of those clearly worked out, unfortunately. The, the interesting part is, too, if you go back and you actually look, if, 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 if CRC spinoff doesn't happen and, you, and everything else plays out the same way, you look at Oxy's portfolio, their best, perform- their best economically friendly stuff is this Elk Hill stuff that CRC is producing. So that's where I think moving forward, I think you're going to see CRC come out a little bit stronger, probably under a new name. But I think they're going to come out stronger because they have good acreage. This Elk Hill stuff and all of the off- offshore stuff along Long Beach and Huntington, I mean, it's not high, high producing, but it's low cost. You can get you know a couple thousand barrels a day off you know 60 feet of offshore depth. I mean, that's cheap compared to when you got to go to some of these ultra offshore stuff it's unbelievable that i i I would have thought producing oil and gas in in california was expensive and it is if you're trying to drill but if you own production that's already there it's like owning natural gas infrastructure sort of the same idea that we were talking about with heidi and terry it's you're not gonna be able to build any wells there but if if you own production there there's some cheap stuff in elk hills especially up there in that it's that bakersfield area there's two things uh it's brett priced and mm-hmm. and uh, Chad Hathaway, uh, Hathaway uh, Oil Corporation or LLC, um, he has all the production that he needs in signed contracts. He didn't have to go get any more new ones. That's the kind of investment that yeah. you look for because he can't yeah. do it. Um, they ain't issuing any new ones. So you got to go find the folks with the permits. Exactly. And that's where I think this is going to be whoever, you know, as, as we see the 2017 turn loans, you know, who, there's a lot of different people. Like, they owe the, I saw they owed the, uh, the California oil and gas geothermal, like the, you know, what is it? The California oil and gas commission. What's the name of it? I'm forgetting oil and it's some weird name and gas commission. It's, oh, it's something like what is it? The oil. Yeah, here we go. The oil, the California Department of Conservation for oil, gas and geothermal. They owed them like 25 million bucks in back fees for inspections. I, I mean, literally, there was everybody The state of California was on their term sheet or was on their uh, uh, liability. She was unbelievable. It was a good, it was a good list. It was, a, it was a who's who's list of debtors. Imagine that oxy, that oxy debtors is going to be. That's going to be a who's who's list of who get of who do, owes cash. Woo-hoo-hoo. Yeah. Um, glad I'm not on that. Yeah, glad. Yeah, exactly. Hey, no, no, no. That's a that's a document you might want your name on, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but that's you know. So CRC, as we mentioned, they've been a dead man walking for a while. I think this. I think they're going to come out. You know, I hate to say that Chapter 11 is is is, is a good thing and and that they're going to come out stronger. I think if you can make that case for any one of these Chapter 11 companies, these guys are I think the in the best position to move up just because of the acreage they have and 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 sort of the the quasi monopoly that they have over, you know, the, you know, cause especially now that they own all of shell. I mean, they own last year. Oh no, 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 not last. Was it last year? They bought all of, they bought, they bought out Chevron steak. I'm looking this up right now. Cause I don't want to make this CRC buys Chevron Wells, California. Oh, I'm so smart. 2018. April 13th, so over two years ago, California Research Group acquires the remaining interest in Elk Heels and now have 100% working interest in that entire field. So, I mean, that's the key right there. 100% working interest and 100% net revenue interest as as on top of owning all the land. So that's right there why these guys are going to be, I think, an attractive offer going forward. Let's do anything else on the shale side here before we move into the international. 
Um, uh, shale's going to play a big part of the worldwide uh, thing, but that's for a different uh, podcast rant. All right. Well, let's go ahead into the international news desk. What do you got for us this week? Michael, <laughs> we've got a couple things playing out. Uh, first article we ran was uh, from, <laughs> excuse me, from Shell, the CEO from Shell. You got the COVID. Uh, <laughs> no, I need a fibrillator. Uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get, I, I'll send you a ventilator. Yeah, yeah they, no, fibrillator. It's a heart attack. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Um, that, that, that's how we do it in the investing in oil and gas these days. Um, the, a defibrillator and a bottle of Jack. <laughs> Uh, Shell is the world's largest uh, LNG trader, and uh, we have an article coming up in the Oil and Gas uh, 25th Anniversary uh, magazine uh, for our Oil and Gas Conference, and we are writing that. So uh, this plays right into that, that it's a, not going to be a V. Uh, it's going to be like a slope recovery from shell uh with that gas log is the second one that we ran and gas log had a billion dollars worth of debt outstanding across 12 lng vessels um they have simplified their bank debt uh what this is seeing is that lng is still critical uh with all these vessels no new tankers, oil tankers are being built. All new LNG, all LNG power because of the regulations that went into effect uh, this year. No, it again, if you've been following the Energy 360, you know, podcast at all, that whole expert network, natural gas, specifically the LNG market, we did a whole episode um, with Spruill on the global LNG markets and why it is, you know, in, as the young kids say, lit. And why it is. Uh, so, in teasing our article, uh, follow the money and follow the approvals. And the number one thing in the international world is money's being tied to ESG uh, for the new projects from the COVID yep. relief. And then the second thing is uh, accepted in the uh, renewable green uh, hysteria, if you don't mind me calling that, uh, is LNG and natural gas is mm. most acceptable for fossil fuel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no. Um, I, I got you. There's so much natural gas in, in, in the world, let alone the United States. I, I, saw, I saw a video on Twitter this morning of the gas flaring going on in Iran. Whew. I, I saw the, the, the U.S. is trying to sanction flaring in Iran. That seems scammy to me. That's like me telling Stu, you got a bedtime tonight. You got to be in bed by 10, man. Uh, I know what's... I, I, I don't... I, I, as much as I, I, I love the U.S. and don't like Iran, whew, I don't know. That seems a little scammy to me. Michael, I'm old enough. I don't let people tell me what to do. Good. Well, I'm not, you don't have a bedtime for me tonight. You can stay up as late as you want working. Um, I saw an Iran story about imports or exports, excuse me. What, what's that all about? Um, Iran is, is uh, OPEC and the whole worldwide structure. Uh, well, because that, that, that's one thing you have. OPEC, actually, they rolled back their production cuts this week. 
That's right. But it was only uh, very little for their 2021, mm-hmm. their uh, 2020. Uh, it was not a very, it was a uh, 8.1 to 7.9. And it's not that uh, big a deal what they rolled back. So Iran has been trying to sell to China, uh, has been trying to sell to all these others past the sanctions, and they finally have agreed to lowering their uh, output. But Michael, they've been going around sanctions all along. That's like me telling uh, the IRS, uh, sure. Yeah, it's also, you know, what do criminals do? Well, they just, they break the law. So it's like asking criminals to follow the law. They're comfortable breaking the law anyway. Why did slapping another sanction on them is not going to do anything? Especially when they don't have any, never mind. Um, there's, there's an, uh, <laughs> I saw, I, I caught, you caught yourself there. Social barrier. I just didn't stop before I went right through that social barrier. Anyway. We don't need to cut anything out, but that's the beauty of podcasts, folks. Like you never know if you never know what we truly say. Uh-huh. I don't know if I've edited. I, I will say this: we'll take people behind the curtain. I don't know if I've actually edited anything out of these podcasts. We've edited stuff out of obviously the Energy Three Hundred and Sixty podcast, but I think this one, this one's pretty firm. I don't think I've edited out anything we've said. So this is the raw thoughts. Uh, well, the raw. It's a pain. I don't want to. It's a pain to edit things out. Uh, it is, but I got in trouble with the owner, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Oh, I've, yo, we both had our run-ins with uh, the bosses, which is fine. That's that's what happens when you uh, when you work here, um, and you have an editorial staff. I want to. We went a little tough on Chesapeake. Uh, I had a few. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> but no, this Iran stuff will be interesting to watch, specifically now with OPEC dropping. I mean, you know, I, I want to shift it now. I, I this story bleeds really well into the levels of oil trade, so I think we're going to go ahead and dive into just what happened in oil and gas this week, guys. This segment is always sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research, and they provide all of the levels and all of the news from their Energy Glimpse solution, guys. Just check them out, sandstonecg.com. Call them nine four nine five six one eighteen eighteen. Make sure you tell them the podcast sent you. They're great guys. If you don't tell them the podcast sent you, you will not get a dis. And we don't get credit. It's great. Call them. Love that you call them, love that you, but you need to mention the podcast, and then we get credit. That's all I'm talking about. When we look at the, you know, price action for crude this week, I mean, pretty much held strong. We had, I was, you know, you look last week, I was bearish, kind of right, kind of wrong. Early in the week, we did see a little bit of a drop, but oil currently trading 40.94 right now. So I mean, we're talking, they might close out this week 41 bucks, which is great to see that structure hold up on more of a long-term basis. I mean, clearly price action over the past month is up, but we are starting to wane off a little bit. And I think that has more to do with how the overall economy is looking. As we mentioned, coronavirus is one of the biggest tells. If people, if we shut down again for for whatever reason, that's going to impact the price of oil. Because as we mentioned, when we first started this podcast, oil is supply and demand. And at this point, with, with, with sort of things have balanced out, we're news driven right now. States shut down. Oil goes down. States continue to reopen and we have more of a V-shaped recovery. I mean, Shell's not telling us that, but if we do have that, we'll probably see oil rise a li- or we'll probably see oil rise a little bit and maybe can get back to that 40 $45 uh, dollar mark. But the fact that oil's holding here is very good. I mean, floor for the week was 38.18. Not even really like that. Low for the week was really 38.50. That level I really like, 39.09 if you're looking to get long. 39.48 is another good structure barrier and a nice volume. I like uh, 30, 
30, eh, 39.70, depending on how on how you're looking for another long position. I don't see anywhere uh, up till 40.33 I like. And then there's a big cluster. I mean, 40... 4073 is the point of control for the week. Top is 4120. So, and that's probably a good range right there if you are looking to short. I'd wait to see if we can get above 4150. I think 4140, you know, $4150, $42 is probably short material. You ride that down to 39, but I don't really see oil dropping below 39 bucks. I think things have stabilized so much that if we don't if we continue to to just not shut down, whether or not we continue to sort of reopen, I think you're going to see oil continue to bounce back, which is really good because I think you're going to see hopefully these these oil markets stable out. You'll have to check in on Monday for my bias for the week. I, I don't really know. I mean, I mean, I was you know, I, I didn't I didn't do any crude oil trading this week, so I couldn't really I, I can't I couldn't really give you a quick sentiment. I didn't even have enough. I was I was coding during the um, uh, Wednesday crude oil inventories, so I didn't didn't quite have an opportunity to hop in and, and sit in there. So I call sit in the chair for a little bit and get some. I get my feet wet. So I didn't quite see how it played this week. But when we look at how the deal inventories played out, we dropped seven and a half million barrels, but crude uh, cushion crude oil stocks gained nine hundred thousand barrels. So kind of a little different there. That's good to see the rest of the UX stocks. Uh, uh, falling though specifically in that northeast section which is really good to see gas um demand was down a hundred thousand so that's not great to see but distillate demand and utilization were both up as we mentioned domestic production flat at 11 000, uh, 11 million barrels per day so that you can now see that the 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 the, the the what am I saying? The divergence between shale production and domestic production. We'll be continuing to watch that and hopefully explain to you guys what's that. Anything on the crude oil trading sites through the caught your eye this week? Um, it's been such a busy week. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Um, it's. If you're wondering how those new S&P Platts, uh, um, crude oil numbers, what, what do they call it? The AGS? We did that whole day. That no one's using them. No, it, they, 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 nobody's using them. I, I, it, it's tough to find them quoted on any other website but them. So maybe we'll have to start throwing them up on the news desk. We're one of the few places that ha- actually has that pricing structure. Um, no, but Michael, back to your coding. Uh, we are launching next week. What are we launching? We're launching dashboards. So crude oil inventory specifically is going to be the first one we roll out, which is it, is, is going to be. It's it's gonna be cool, guys. You're gonna, you know, it's it's this is the you know it's the first of many um, dashboards that we're rolling out. We're starting with crude oil inventories mostly because you can automate EIA just because the way they structure their data, you can actually go in and get their backend API stuff. So that was the key. I wanted to set these dashboards up so that we can kind of set them up, and I don't have to touch them again. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been doing me. I've been doing some hard you know testing, trying to figure out, make sure that these things are rock solid. Next thing we're gonna be rolling out natural gas inventories and rigs. Those are gonna come out probably the following week. And then the following week after, we're going to launch Bloomberg um, dashboards just in time for the oil and gas conference. And we're going to have a whole term sheet. Every company that's going to be um, presenting at the oil and gas conference, we're going to pull all of their financials. I mean, there we you know, Intercom's got a Bloomberg terminal. I'm using it to its fullest capacity right here. So it's going to be good. I'm excited for these dashboards. And, and next week... You know, I, we'll shoot some tutorial videos on how to use them because there'll be some really cool, interesting stuff. I'll have, we got some filter functionalities I'm working out. But no, I, I'm just excited as you are for those. Um, and so when you, you take a look at that, you know, oil and gas 360 is becoming the one-stop shop that folks will need. People keep, I keep saying world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com. 
I think it's time to go ahead and just and just finish off with the suspended 360 official, non-official fund. But the lawyers make us say this so we don't get sued, guys. This segment is always for entertainment purposes only. Everyone on the show, Stuart Turley, Michael Tanner, we invest for our own account. If you're not managing any outside money, you're not giving investment advice, you don't offer securities or have any involvement in the regulated side of the industry. And remember, investing is risky and you can and will lose your entire principal. I mean, Bonanza Creek's been doing okay. That's probably the one thing that's going to stay in our portfolio. Uh, we're probably stuck in our natural gas position, but guys, it's still on suspension. I think this weekend, my plan is to go through and get that revamped along with the chart. So come Monday, we're going to roll out a new portfolio for you. Can we, can we quote us on that, Stu? Monday, a new portfolio rollout? Uh, you and I are going to be working all day Sunday, so buckle up. It's going to be, Sunday's going to be good, especially. We've got some Zoom stuff to work out for the oil and gas conference. Guys, we're 40 minutes here, so it's been a long Friday show, and we haven't even covered the fun. So I think with that, we're going to go ahead and let you guys just get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell here on the world's greatest platform, oilandgas360.com. We will see you guys this afternoon for the digital ticker. As Stu says, we've got a hall pass to give out.